Welcome to Pursue Wisdom, the teaching podcast of Bethlehem Church in Austin, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Paul Steele, and we are in a sermon series called Asking for a Friend. We all have questions when it comes to God, the Bible, what it means to follow Jesus. And we would like some answers to those questions to give us confidence in what we believe. And so my prayer is that in this sermon series, you will be encouraged, that you will be given some reasons on why you can know that following Jesus is the absolute best way to live. Let's get into the sermon. I said last week, I I thought last week's question was probably the most important one of this series. This one might be the most difficult one of the series. So, because it's, it, it's something that, that, that we all, I think, at times wrestle with. So, we often say in church, right, God is good, all the time. That's easy to say. Especially when things are going well for us. There's a new, a new baby, you get a raise. Oh, God is good. But would we say this? God is good all the time. When a FedEx driver kidnaps and kills a little girl. God is good all the time. Can we say that when an earthquake hits Turkey and Syria and 50,000 people Die? God is good all the time. Can we say that when there is war that devastates countries, displaces people, God is good all the time? It's tough. The question, if God is good, why does he allow evil to exist? It's difficult. And I don't think we should try to find some pat answers to make this question go away. How do we really wrestle with this question before us? Because it is the number one reason why atheists say they don't believe in God. Like C.S. Lewis, who, when he was young, stopped believing in God. His mother was sick, and he prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed, and she died. And in that moment, he lost his faith. And many are like that. Many people walk away from the church, walk away from having faith in God because of instances like God didn't 
hear my prayer. He didn't listen. He didn't. Why does God allow this? The assumption, really, this is the assumption behind this whole question. And I think it's, it's what makes this question so difficult. Really, the assumption behind this question is, is uh, if I was all-powerful like God, I wouldn't let this happen. And yet God allows this to happen to his most, his, even his most faithful people. That's the difficulty that we have when we come to this question. If I had God's power, I wouldn't let that little girl be killed. I wouldn't let that earthquake to happen. I wouldn't. If that's what I would do, if I would show that much kindness, if I would show that much love, then how can God be good if he won't intervene? That's where, that's the real struggle that we have here. That's, that's what makes this question so difficult. And so we need to go to the book of the Bible that best addresses this question. And so the book of Job addresses this question. Now, remember, we looked at this uh, back in October when we went through the questions that God asks series. And Job is not necessarily about, is God good? What the book of Job is really about is, is is God just? Is God just? So remember what is happening in the book of Job. Satan comes to God and says, hey, this guy Job, he wouldn't be faithful to you if you didn't bless him so much. And so God allows, and this is part of the difficulty within the book of Job. Think about this. Think about what God is allowing Satan to do within the book of Job. Saying, okay, you go test him. You go test him. Don't take his life. You test him. But you can take the life of his kids. You can take the life of his servants. But you test him to see whether or not he will remain faithful to me. So all this bad stuff happens to Job, and Job, as he ponders this and thinks about this, the conclusion he comes to is that God is not just, because there's no reason in Job's life that he can think of that, would, that should allow this type of suffering to happen to him. Now, Job's friends, they come and say, Hey, no, God is just, and God punishes those who do bad things. And so your suffering is an indication, Job, that you have something in your life. You have some hidden sin. There's some secret sin in your life that God is punishing you for. 
So that's their answer. Their answer is, see, suffering is connected to your sin. You've done something wrong, and so God is just in letting you And then that's when God shows up in Job chapter 38. In Job chapter 38, verses 7. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? God goes on with this line of questioning, but we get the point. See, here, isn't it interesting that God does not come to Job and defend himself against these accusations. He doesn't come to prove that he is good. He doesn't come to prove that he is just. That's not what God does here. Rather, what God, what God does, and his answer is, that he sent the boundaries of creation, and we should trust him. He's the one that put this all together, and our trust should be in him, because our wisdom, our understanding is not big enough to understand what God is up to, what God is doing. He simply says that he created everything, he is in control, and we don't have the wisdom to understand it. Now, that's not a very satisfactory answer. Trust God. He put it all together. Not very satisfactory, especially when our lives have been affected in some way by evil and suffering. But it is the answer that God gives. To trust him, he put it all together. He has set the boundaries. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't truths for us to remember as we Think about this question that will help direct our thinking. So I'm going to take four truths from the philosopher Peter Kreft that found in his book, The Fundamentals of Faith. And these four truths, I think, will help us understand this problem of evil. It may not answer the question. It's not going to answer the question. It just helps us direct our thinking a little bit. And the first truth is this, evil is not a thing, it is a choice. Evil is not a thing, it is a choice. So evil is not like this living creature out there that's trying to oppose God's will. That's not what evil is. Rather, evil exists because of the choices that have been made by both heavenly creatures 
and by humans. See, God created certain creatures with the ability to choose. So he created human beings with this ability to choose, but also these heavenly creatures that we don't, I mean, know too much about, God gave them the ability to choose whether or not to follow him or not. And apparently what is that God created these heavenly beings, which include angels and all these other different ones that we see in, in, in heaven, for the purpose of helping human beings carry out their mandate to be good stewards of this world, to bear God they were called to do. So even, they, even though they're in heaven, even though they're these glorious beings, their job, their commission was to help us to carry out our mission. That these creatures, or at least some of these creatures, including Satan, became jealous. Heavenly beings, and we have to serve these dirt creatures. And so they made the choice to rebel against God and to mess up those people that they were supposed to be serving. It was a choice that they made. And for whatever reason, this authority that God gave to these heavenly creatures, he did not revoke. And so they become what Paul refers to the principalities and powers. They're the ones that are behind all this stuff. Whatever God gave them the authority and power to do, they're still able to do it, even though they're not making the choices. They're not in line with God's will. Just like God gave us the authority, right, to, to take care of his good creation, to bear his image in this world. God did not revoke that from us when we decided to sin, to disobey his will. He continued to allow us that responsibility. But what happens then is that our choices, both those who, of those heavenly beings and our choices create evil in this world when we disobey God and we go our own way. We introduce evil into this world. Evil is a choice, and God is constantly putting choices in front of us. Are we going to obey him? Are we going to follow him, or are we not? So in Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
verses 15 through 20. Moses is saying, you can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and committing yourselves firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Moses says, you have a choice. And the choice that you need to make is to love the Lord your God. And there is going to be benefits and blessings for you making that choice. So choice, so evil is a choice. Are we going to choose to follow Jesus, to obey God's will, or are we not? Because if we don't, if we disobey God, we are going to introduce greater and greater evil into this world. So evil is a choice. Two, the second truth is evil is the cause of suffering. So apparently, as I said, these heavenly creatures have authority over aspects of creation which God did not revoke. And this means that evil has been introduced into all layers of creation it's there it's woven into the world that we now live in paul in in romans chapter 8 says that creation has been subjected to this and it groans and waits for the revealing of the of the sons of the children of god for things to be restored as it should be. So evil is the cause of suffering. We suffer because of evil. And the corruption that evil has brought into the world that we live in. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, we read this. Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 5. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices at the temple. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee? Jesus asked. Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they the worst sinners in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. And no, and I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. So here we see that people suffered, people died because of the evil choice of Pilate. He killed them for whatever reason, but it was his evil choice that caused the suffering. Evil causes suffering. The reason we experience suffering in this world is because of the evil. The evil choices that people and these heavenly creatures make and the evil that happens because of the corruption that has taken place in our good, in God's good world. Evil is the cause of suffering. God is not the cause of suffering. It's evil. People suffered because of Pilate's actions. People suffered because of this tragedy of the tower falling down. 
And what the people of Jesus' day wanted to do, just like the Job's friends, is to say, hey, this happened because of their sin. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not the case. The case is because Pilate caused this. Pilate did it. This is the case because there's this corruption in this world, and that tower fell down, and this tragedy happened. It had nothing to do with these individual people's sin. It's the world that we live in, a world that's been corrupted by evil, by the evil choices of people and of creatures. But, I want us to think about this. If evil, or if evil, which is a choice, brings in suffering, then the opposite is true. Love, which is a choice, reduces suffering. Love, which is a choice, reduces suffering. The third, the third truth that we need to think about. So evil is not a thing, it's a choice. Evil is the cause of suffering. The answer to the problem of evil is Jesus. God may not answer the question about why he continues to allow evil to exist. But he doesn't ignore the problem either. Jesus addresses the problem of evil through his death and resurrection. So God addresses the problem of evil through the death and resurrection of Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verses 50 through 55. What am I saying, dear brothers and sisters? What I am saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have, been, have died will be raised to live forever, and we who are living will be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into mortal, immortal bodies. Then, when our dying bodies have been transformed into the bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? So the life and death and resurrection of Jesus is God's answer to the problem of evil and suffering in this world. That it ushers in God's new, that there will come a time when our bodies will no longer be susceptible to sickness and, and, and death. And what is true with our bodies will be true for creation as a whole. Things will be restored, renewed the way that they're supposed to. So God has addressed. He's not going to tell us why this all happens. Why do you still let evil exist? Why, why, why? And we can go crazy trying to answer that question. And what the Bible tells us and what 
Paul is trying to help us remember here is that where we need to stand is in Jesus. That through Jesus, things are changing, and that is our hope. That is our answer. That's where we stand. But not only is, is that we have this hope that things are going to change, but God also addresses this problem of evil and suffering through his people. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father, the source of all comfort. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others when they are troubled. We will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. For, for the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with his comfort through Christ. Even when we are weighed down with troubles, it is for our comfort and, our, and salvation. For when we ourselves are comforted, we will certainly comfort you. When we can patiently endure the same things we, then you can patiently endure the same things we suffer. We are confident that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in the comfort God gives. Paul says, hey, through your suffering, God's going to give you the ability to comfort those around you. So not only do we have this hope that helps us overcome the suffering and the evil that is in our world, but because of that hope, we are motivated and compelled to offer love and encouragement and comfort to those who are going through times of suffering. Peter Kreft in his book talks about, imagine if there was no more e uh, human evil so, so that the only thing that we have to deal with is the evil and the suffering and the tragedy that comes through this world, right? The sickness and death, and, but there's no, more, there's no more murder, there's no more rape, there's no more sexual abuse, there's no more war, there's none of that. If we as God's people lived with love, that would be almost like paradise on earth. Because people, as they went through their sickness and tragedy, they would have people there loving them and comforting them and helping them. It would make this thing a whole lot easier. So part of our God's response to the problem of evil is God's people working against the evil in this world. And that's part of what makes Western civilization, Western civilization is because of Christians who decided we're going to live this out in reality. And we're going to start hospitals. And we're going to, to find cures. And we're going to love. And we're going to start orphanages. And we're going to do this. And we're going to do this to bring comfort to those who are suffering. It's the way God's people are to live. And the th fourth 
truth that we need to remember is that good can come out of suffering. Good can come out of suffering. One of the most important things here that we need to remember is that there's a proper place for pain, right? Pain lets us know that things aren't right. So when you touch something that's hot, that pain that you feel lets you know, like, hey, there is something that's not right here that I need to address. Suffering plays that same role in our world. The suffering that exists reminds us that things are not what they should be. Part of the reason that evil and suffering bothers us so much is because we know this is not right. This is not the way that God intended for his world to be. So suffering is that, that point that shows us life is not what it should be and what it will be when Jesus returns. And we also need to remember that God will not waste our pain. God will not waste our pain. And James chapter 1, in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. James tells us that part of this suffering that we experience in this world, that God's not going to waste it. He's going to use it for our spiritual maturity. So find joy in it because God is at work in our lives. But not only that, is that suffering also gives us the opportunity to do good. Right? So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, John is telling Christians, he says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say that we love each other. Let us show action so that truth we
reason why God allows evil and suffering to continue in the world is the evil that is in the world around us. So here's our big idea this morning. God addresses the problem of evil through Jesus and his faithfulness and his faithful people. God addresses the problem of evil through Jesus and his faithful people. We can't fully answer the question, but we can know that God is at work against the evil in this world. And that's what we hold on to. We may not understand the boundaries that God has set when he created this world and why this continues to be an issue, but we can be confident that God is at work against the evil, against the suffering we find in this world. So here's the challenge this week. Resist evil by doing good. Resist evil by doing good. So select a charity to give to. Help someone that you know that might have a need. Ah, here's another one. Throw a party and be a beacon of joy in this world. Right? Throw a party. Paul says in, in Philippians, rejoice. And I say again, rejoice. Amidst all this suffering, amidst all this stuff that goes against us, be joyful. Show people that there is a reason to have hope. Throw a party, be a beacon of joy. This is one of the most difficult, head-scratching questions that we can have. And while, yes, evil exists because of choices made by the heavenly creatures and by us, yeah, but why does God allow that? I don't know if we'll ever have an answer to that question on this side of heaven. But we can know that God has not abandoned us and he's at work in this world to usher in a new world, a new creation, when we can be at home with God. We don't have to worry about the questions that we may have. God's not afraid of them. There are good answers to the questions that we have. And I am confident that as we seek these answers, God is going to use the whole process to strengthen our faith and make us into the people that he created us to be. Keep on asking those questions and keep on looking to God.